Good morning. Good morning. Well, welcome to Bloomfield Baptist Church. Uh, if you will turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, that will be our text this Lord's Day. Uh, we have been studying through uh, Exodus together. Thank you, Nick. And we're taking a break from that study uh, to go through a series as we're in this Advent season. And so today we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 1. All right, now I'm on. And uh, we'll continue in our study of Luke uh, next week and the week after that. Uh, two weeks from now is Christmas Day, and we will have services that day at 11 o'clock only. Uh, no Sunday school, but we hope that you'll be with us at 11 o'clock to worship that day. Uh, so for these three weeks, we'll be looking at the Gospel of Luke and looking at this Advent se uh, series, beginning today with Luke 1, 46 through 55, where we read Mary's praise. Uh, this is Mary's response to all that God has told her through the angel Gabriel. And what we see in her response is that she responds with thanksgiving and with praise. And I hope today as we study this text that that will be the response of our hearts as well. Uh, to be thanking God, to be praising God. Uh, so out of reverence for God's word, if you're able to, if you would stand as I read this text for us this Lord's Day. Luke chapter 1, beginning now in verse 46, we read this. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich He has sent away empty. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. If you would, pray with me. Father, we pray you would bless your word today. We pray that you would use it in our lives. We pray, God, as we examine this text and consider Mary's response to that proclamation of the coming of Christ, that we too might respond to the good news of Christ, the good news of Christmas, and praise. So Lord, I pray you would fill our hearts with praise and thanksgiving. I pray, Lord, for any here this morning who's yet to respond to the good news of the gospel, that they would, and we ask this in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Well, it may be hard to believe, uh, but Christmas is two weeks from today. Uh, it seems each year like it comes quicker, even though... Uh, you've been seeing decorations in the store since October. Uh, Christmas is here. And I love Christmas. I love everything about Christmas. I love the Christmas lights and decorating for Christmas. I love uh, why we celebrate Christmas ultimately and sharing the good news of our Savior with others. I love how this is a time of year when uh, you can turn on the radio, you can walk into all kinds of businesses and out in public and hear songs over loudspeakers uh, declaring the good news of the gospel. I love Christmas. And one of my favorite things about Christmas uh, is giving gifts. 
Uh, especially to our kids, to family members. Uh, that is always a highlight for me is Christmas morning, seeing them open up those gifts and receive those gifts and be excited about those things. But it's a little different in our home now than it was just a few years ago. Uh, for those of you who have uh, infants or who have new grandchildren, you know how that first Christmas experience is, and even that second Christmas uh, kids aren't quite in tune yet with the whole gift thing. Uh, sometimes they're so little they can't really yet open up the presents. And so you, you kind of go through that routine where you, you kind of grasp the paper in their hand and you're trying to teach them to open up that present. But that's not something you have to keep teaching them. You know, as the years go on, you don't have to teach them how to open those things anymore, do you? And so for you, uh, like our home, this Christmas might be more of a, a Christmas wrapping paper explosion. You know, they just rip through all those things. But one thing we do have to keep teaching uh, our kids and even reminding ourselves about is the need to give thanks when we receive something. You know, and so you find yourself saying, well, make sure you say thank you. Make sure you write a note of thanks. Make sure you let someone know how much you appreciate that. Because that's part of that experience. When we receive gifts, we should receive them thankfully and thank others well the scripture tells us that the greatest gift that anyone could ever receive is the gift of the gospel of jesus christ and as we come into this advent season we as christians should be thankful for that gift we should be responding to god with thanks with praise for this great gift he's given us and the text that i read for us this morning is very much a picture of what that looks like now, this is mary responding to the lord with thanks for this gift that he's given of the messiah and so this morning i want us to consider in the midst of what is usually for many of us a very busy time of the year a very hectic time of the year I want us to consider what it looks like for us to just pause for a moment and give thanks to God this Christmas season. And I want to model that after this song of praise we have before us, beginning with the first point there in your outline. We're reminded here that we need to praise God for our salvation. We need to praise God for our salvation because that's very much what we see Mary do here. Now, just a little context, I'm assuming most of us are familiar with what's taking place here in Luke 1, but just to make sure we're all on the same page. This is at a point in Mary's life where she is betrothed to be married to Joseph. A betrothal is very different than what we experience culturally. Even the whole context here in her age, contextually, Mary was probably between the age of 12 and 14 when she was betrothed to be married to Joseph. Now, I understand that's, that's a little different for us, but that was very common then. Most girls, by the time they were 12 and a half, they were betrothed to be married. And betrothal was different than engagement for us today. You know, engagement for us today is, a, is kind of the leading up to marriage. Some people have short engagements. Some people have long engagements. It's pretty much we're going to take this time and we're going to plan and prepare for marriage. But betrothal was something a little bit more than that. It was actually a legal agreement. It was a binding covenant agreement between two families where this man and this woman were now betrothed to be married. They were now committed to be married to one another. Now, they weren't married yet, 
Uh, Mary and Joseph weren't actually married. They weren't living in the same home. Mary would have been living with her family. Uh, Joseph was probably a little bit older than Mary, so if he wasn't living with his own, he was establishing the home that they would live in. But that betrothal period for the Jewish people lasted for 12 months. And during that 12 months, they were very much preparing for a lifetime together. And so Mary would have been thinking about uh, what it was going to be like to be Joseph's bride. She would have been thinking about uh, the children that they would one day have. She would have been thinking about their life together. But she would not have been thinking about what was about to happen. That is until this message bursts forth into her life and an angel from the Lord Gabriel comes to her while she's still betrothed and not yet married and gives her this miraculous message. We read about it there in Luke 1 verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. And so this angel comes and tells Mary that this wonderful news, but this very startling news, that, that she is going to be the mother of the Messiah. The, the, the descendant of the throne of David is going to be born to her. And of course, her first reaction is, how in the world can this happen? I'm betrothed to Joseph, but we're not married yet. And that's when Gabriel communicates this, this miraculous news. That through a miracle of the Holy Spirit, that, that she is going to be with child. And that this child won't be any ordinary child. Verse 32 says, He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Now Mary has some questions about this, and she asks Gabriel, but ultimately what we see in this passage is she receives this news, and she responds in faith. The Scripture tells us specifically, she says, Behold, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And so Mary receives this amazing news, and she responds in faith. And then the Scripture tells us that at some point then, she travels to see a relative of hers, Elizabeth. And we're going to talk more about Elizabeth and her husband Zachariah next week. And we'll talk about how God had given them a gift of a child too. Very different circumstance, but miraculous nonetheless. And so she's going to go spend time with Elizabeth. We don't know if Joseph knew yet what was going on. We don't know if he found out when she got back or if he knew before she left. But he will find out. Matthew chapter 1, he finds out. And at that point, he's planning to, to, to divorce her. Because he just doesn't understand this. And then he too receives a revelation from an angel. And then you know the, the rest of the story. But it's at this point when she's there visiting Elizabeth that she issues this praise. And so some time has passed here. She, she's had some time for this to kind of sink in and to consider it. And notice what she says. The very first thing there, verse 46. And Mary said... My soul magnifies the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. The, the, the essence here is what she's saying is that it kind of like if we put something under a microscope or looked at it with a telescope, something that, that didn't seem so big all of a sudden gets very large to us. And what Mary is saying is that now God is so big. God is so great. God is so large. 
Now, God hasn't changed. God hasn't suddenly gotten greater. God hasn't suddenly gotten bigger or more powerful. What has changed is Mary's perspective of God. Because as she spent time considering and processing through what's taking place and meditating on it, her, her view of God, her perspective of God, has just gotten so much bigger. And you might think of it this way. Uh, how many of you last month got to see the supermoon? Anybody see the supermoon? All right, like four people saw the supermoon. Well, just the rest of you can trust me. It was super. Supermoon. Now, now, I'm not a scientist, so I might be a little off on my science here, but I, I did go to Google to find this out. So I, I went and Googled supermoon, and, and what I learned when I Googled supermoon is that, that when you saw the moon mid-November, and it appeared so large and so magnificent, that was not because the moon suddenly got larger. Okay? The same thing as when you go out at night and you see a half moon. That, that's not because half the moon is gone. And when you see a supermoon and it's bigger, that's not because the moon has suddenly gotten bigger. What it is is the earth and the moon are closer. And when they're closer together, we can see the greatness of the moon, the, the, the majesty of the moon, the awesomeness of the moon. Because we have moved closer to it, it appears grander to us. If you are not in awe of God, if you are not impressed by God, it's not because God doesn't deserve your awe or God is not impressive. It's because of you. It's because there's a great distance between you and God. And the further that distance, the less impressive God will be to you. And God's not the one moving. The God the Scripture says is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God's characteristics do not change. His attributes do not change. What so often changes is us. And so I'll hear people all the time say to me, well, Pastor, I just, I, don't, I just don't feel so close to the Lord. And I'll say, well, where'd you go? <laughs> God didn't go anywhere. <laughs> God is who He is. He does what He does. But what happens in our life is sometimes we tend to feel distance from God and we start to somehow point the finger at God as if God has left us. As if God has somehow abandoned us. As if God has distanced Himself from us. But what you find in the Scripture, even from the very beginning, it is man who distances themselves from God. You go back to Genesis 1 and 2. You have perfect fellowship in the garden between Adam and Eve and God. There is no distance. There is no separation. You know where that separation comes from? It comes from Adam and Eve and their sin. And because of their sin, they are then distanced. They are then separated from God. But God does what? God tells them even then He will pursue them. He will come after them. He will send a Redeemer who will make all things right. Genesis 3.15 He will crush the head of the enemy. And the story you see throughout the book of Genesis, the story you see throughout the Old Testament, the story that then culminates here in the Gospels is the story of God relentlessly pursuing His people. And so throughout generations, the Jewish people were looking towards that day the Messiah would come because the Messiah would save. 
And as Mary considers these great truths, she begins to just praise God. And there's a lot of things she could have praised God for. But I want you to notice the very first thing she praises God for there in verse 47. She said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. And just think about that for a moment. Mary is praising God because God is now saving Mary. We have a lot of confusion in churches today about the role of Mary, and depending on what tradition you were brought up in, you may be very confused this morning about Mary. I was on a mission trip a number of years ago uh, in Europe, and I went to a, a countryside church there, and I'll never forget as we rode up that mountainside, uh, the missionary that was with me said, I want you to notice something. As we came up that mountain, there was this enormous statue of Mary, about the size of that wall there. And then right beside it, maybe about three feet tall, there was this little statue of Jesus. And in some church traditions, that's what they've done with Mary. It's not God who is magnified. It is Mary who is magnified and deified and looked to as if she needed no Savior. And then in other traditions, because we, we, we see there's error in that, we go all the way to the other end where we don't even talk about Mary. You know, the, she's the mother of Jesus. You know. We don't say much about her because we're, well, we don't want to deify her. We don't want to magnify her. We want to magnify the Lord. And yet the Scripture here tells us, one, Mary was certainly someone who needed a Savior because she's praising God for her Savior. And at the same time, she's one who the Lord said, generations are going to call you blessed because of how you're going to be used in the plan of God. But Mary, fundamentally, here we need to know, she needed a Savior. And friends, every one of us needs a Savior as well. And you might not think of yourself that way. And you might wake up in the morning feeling pretty decent about yourself. And you might watch the news or read the paper and say, well, there's, there's somebody who needs some saving there, you know. We need to pray for that, though. We need to pray for them. But maybe you came in this morning and looking around the room, you're thinking, you know, I'm doing better than some of these folks, you know. I saw what they were doing last night. You, you start thinking yourself better. And, and even, even worse... Maybe you think this morning that God is impressed with you. you know? That God's looking at you compared to somebody else and thinking, well, look, they're, they're doing a pretty good job. You know? Friends, let me just tell you, based on the Scripture, God's not impressed with you and He's not impressed with me. God is not looking down from heaven this morning and saying, well, that's a pretty colorful sweater is going on. And he, he's seen the socks. Y'all haven't seen the socks. Look at those socks. God's not impressed with me. In fact, you know what God says of me? Romans 3.10 None is righteous, no, not one. Verse 12 No one does good, not even one. In Romans 3.23 All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so it doesn't mean that this morning you're the worst version of yourself. You could be a lot more awful than you are. And so could I. But in our hearts, the Scripture says, we are sinful 
and that we, like Mary, need a Savior. So the Scripture's not saying, you know, man, there's some rebellious 12 and 13-year-olds, but Mary, woo, she was terrible. You know. But the Scripture does tell us she needed what we need. She needed a Savior. And that's why in response to this news, her view of God, her perspective of God is, is magnified because she's saying, I rejoice because now God has sent His Savior. And notice she doesn't say it's because of all the things she had done. She says, look, He looked on the humble estate of His servant. And from now on, I'll, I'll be called Blessed. Generations are going to call me blessed. Now again, there's some confusion here in how people refer to Mary today. Certainly Mary was blessed, but friend, hear this. If you have moved from a state of deserving eternal damnation and the wrath of a holy God on you because of your sin, and you have been rescued and snatched out of that by the grace and the mercy of God who sent His Son to die in your place, and your response to that good news was repentance and faith and trusting in Him, then you, friend, are called blessed as well. That's how the Scripture refers to us. As followers of Christ, we are indeed saints, and we are indeed blessed. And Mary goes to translate this not just from her being blessed, but notice what she says here. Verse 50, For His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. And so Mount Mary is praising God not just for her salvation, but the salvation that will come to anyone who fears God. That's the message of Christmas. That's the point of Christmas. But if you're not careful and I'm not careful, we get so overwhelmed this time of year by all the stuff and the activities that we don't take time to consider the simple message of the cradle and the cross. And so I hope this morning you can push some of those things back because we, we so need to. And not just us in this day and age. This has been a problem in our culture for years. In fact, about 50 years ago, it was this very problem that led someone not as known then as we know him now, Charles Schultz, to put together this little Charlie Brown Christmas special. <laughs> now, I'm assuming this morning that you've seen Charlie Brown Christmas special. If you haven't seen Charlie Brown Christmas special, you're a Grinch. You have no soul. And I will pray for you. It's great. Because 50 years ago, Schultz puts his finger on the pulse that's still our problem today. He looks at a culture that is obsessed with all these activities surrounding Christmas, but have completely missed the point of Christmas. In fact, Schultz himself, when he was pitching this idea to the network executives, they didn't like it because it had this character, Linus, sharing a passage from the Scripture, which was the whole point entirely. And so Schultz stood his ground. And so now today, even today, one time a year at least on network television, we've got a little cartoon character with his blanket coming out and sharing the message of the gospel. And he shares it because people desperately need to hear it. You've got that, that character of Charlie Brown who's overwhelmed by all the frustration, the business, the activity, the commercialization of Christmas. And he asks that question. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? 
Friends, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you should be the first one when somebody asks that question to stand up and say, I can tell you what it's all about. And that's exactly what Linus does. And that's exactly what we see in this passage, what Christmas is about, what the birth of Christ is about. It's about God rescuing His people. We need to praise Him for that. Point two, we need to praise God for His strength. And Mary goes on now and transitions from praising God for His salvation for her and His salvation that will come to others and now talks about the strength He has shown. Verse 51, He has shown the strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. He's exalted those of humble estate. And Mary, as she's describing this as someone growing up in a Jewish home, probably would have had all kinds of biblical, historical events coming to mind. All the times where God had humbled the proud. All the times when God had, had lifted up those who were humble. We have been studying at length one such account in the book of Exodus. In Exodus, if you've been with us, you've seen this picture of this wicked king, Pharaoh, who exalts himself. He believes himself to be a god. He demands to be worshipped as a god. He leads his people and not and falsely worshipping him and falsely worshipping all these gods of Egypt and making sacrifices to the river and to the land and worshipping Ra, the sun god. And so what does God do with that? God, when He steps in to rescue His people, first humbles the proud. And He shows His strength. And He scatters them. And He brings them down. Until the point, as we will see when we return to Exodus, He will swallow them up in the waters. This wicked king who once commanded that the sons of God's people be thrown into the waters will meet his demise how? God will swallow him up. And so Mary is likely recounting these and other events throughout biblical history. And as she does, she is reminding herself and praising God that, that it is by His strength now that, that peace is going to come. See friends, that, that's how we get ultimate peace. Peace doesn't usually work out real well when we just decide we're going to be at peace. When we sign peace treaties. So often peace treaties fail. Why? Because people break them. But in order to have true, lasting peace, an enemy has to be conquered. I've shared with you before a picture of this back in 1914 known as the Christmas Truce. It was during World War I. The British and German troops were fighting, but then came Christmas Eve, and on Christmas Eve, they stopped fighting. And on each side, they began to sing Christmas hymns, and they began to give little makeshift gifts to one another. And we don't know historically who was first, but at some point, someone from one side came on the field, and someone from the other side came on the field, and they had this, this truce, and they celebrated Christmas together in the middle of a war. They make commercials about it now. This, this picture of this peace. One British officer later wrote his family and said this, Just think, while you were eating your turkey, I was out talking and shaking hands with the very men I had been trying to kill a few hours before. It was astounding, he wrote. 
But you know what they don't show in the commercial? It's less than a day later, they started shooting at each other again. <laughs> and less than a day later, they started killing each other again. Because the Christmas truce of 1914 didn't end World War I. And wars often, not always, but often don't end when two parties just decide they're going to have peace. So often, wars end when one side defeats the other side. And how that translates in our life is this, friend. The Scripture says that you and I are born at war with God. It says because of our sin, there's, there's enmity between us. There's strife. There, there's a battle taking place. And, and fundamentally, that battle in our life is with sin and death. And you fight that every day of your life. And that's why... You, you may be here this morning feeling somewhat defeated in that battle because you have tried over and over and over again to defeat, to win, to get victory in the area of your life, but it seems like that old enemy just keeps coming back. And the Scripture says that's because you can't just decide one day you're going to be at peace with sin. You can't sit down with sin and death and say, okay, let's, let's put together a little peace treaty here. No, sin and death have to be defeated. And in order to defeat them, it takes one who is fully God and fully man and knows no sin himself. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. Jesus Christ on that cross defeated sin and death. And he did that because God is all-powerful. And here, Mary is reminding us in her praise of the power of God that he's the only one who can save us. So Christmas should be a reminder to us of that. If you are putting your hope in someone else, in something else, thinking they're going to make things better, that they're going to deliver, that they're going to rescue, that they're going to complete or fulfill, you will be disappointed. But Christmas is a reminder to us that God does not disappoint us. Even though He doesn't always show up on our timetable. But Mary reminds us even of that in this last point I've put there in your outline as she praises God for His sovereignty. Finally, we see here in this passage that, that Mary in her praise begins to recount not just the strength of God, but the sovereignty of God. How God has a plan and God has a plan for His plan. God knows exactly what He's going to do and how He's going to do it. Notice what she says here, verse 54. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to His offspring forever. So Mary here recounts a promise that God made to Abraham all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. God enters into a covenant with Abraham at that point and promises to bless him and to bless generations through him. And you know how long it was between that promise God made to Abraham and this praise that Mary is sharing? You know how long that was? 2,000 years have passed. God made a promise 2,000 years before Mary issues this praise. And yet notice Mary's response to it. Mary doesn't say, well, God, it's about time. <laughs> and Mary doesn't say, well, God, I, I wonder what was taking you so long. 
And yet, so often, friends, when God doesn't do what God's going to do when we want God to do it, that's exactly how we tend to think of God, isn't it? That's when we start to feel that, that distance between us and God sometimes. That's sometimes when God starts to appear a bit smaller to us because we think, well, God, if you can do anything and you're not doing it here, then maybe you don't care. Or maybe you don't know, or maybe you've forgotten, or maybe you're too busy, or maybe this, maybe that. And what happens there is we begin to get frustrated with God for not doing what we want Him to do it when we want Him to do it. And here we're reminded as Mary issues this praise that God has a plan, and God has a plan for His plan. And that even beyond 2,000 years, going back even before that to Genesis 3.15 where God says a Redeemer's coming, and even before that the Scripture says when God created the world, He had a plan for how that world would be redeemed. And friends, it's important for us to remember that as we think about all the things we get frustrated with in our life. Most of us aren't great at being patient. And I've shared about this recently, how if you want to just take a gauge of how patient you are, just consider all your thoughts when you're at a stoplight. Come on, you know, this is... I think this light's broken. It's been, it's been 90 seconds, you know. And we get so impatient and so frustrated somebody's not ready when it's time to go come on come on but we're so impatient and i'm talking about things that are matters of minutes sometimes hours mary here issues a praise to god for something that he promised two thousand years ago and now it is starting to come to fruition and friends, that reminds us of an important truth. God doesn't often work on our timetable. But God always is in control of His timetable. And God will do what God will do when God will do it. And part of our faith is growing in trusting God. And rather than distancing ourselves and having a small view of Him, to focus so much on Him that we enlarge our view of Him and we are overwhelmed with Him. And when things don't go like we thought they would or happen the way we thought they would, that, that rebel, that rather than grumble and complain that we go to the Lord and we trust Him and we recognize that He is in control and He has a plan. He's not in a hurry, but He is in control. And that's where I want to leave you this Lord's Day with what God's Word tells us about this because Christmas should remind us of the sovereignty of God and the plan of God. I've been reading recently a little book by Tim Keller entitled Hidden Christmas. And this is what Keller notes along these lines. He says this, You cannot judge God by your calendar. God may appear to be slow 
but he never forgets his promises. He may seem to be working very slowly or even be forgetting his promises, but when his promises come true, and they will come true, they always burst the banks of what you imagine. And isn't that a picture of what we see in Luke chapter 1? <laughs> For generations, people have been looking towards the coming of the Messiah, but nobody for a moment imagined He was going to come this way. And He just burst forth into history. And friends, the good news of the Gospel is, not only has He burst forth once, but He's going to burst forth again. I had an opportunity to spend time with a family yesterday funeral of a loved one and as I stood there at the graveside I read a familiar passage it's one that I often read at gravesides when someone has passed who was a follower of Christ but honestly it's one that we should read often even when we're not at gravesides and I want to leave you with it today a reminder that as we celebrate the first coming we should look towards the second 1 Thessalonians 4.13 but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, those who have died. That you may not grieve as others who have no hope. So Christian, grieve, but don't grieve like those who don't have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, that that second advent, we will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Friends, if that doesn't encourage you today, then that's a good indication that your soul is dead. If that word doesn't bring life to you today, it's because you've never experienced new life in Christ. And the offer is there for you. To repent and to trust. And what that means is that you're probably going to have to let go of some things in order to fully trust in Christ. Now, I shared with you earlier about that Charlie Brown Christmas. I'll close with something you may or may not have noticed if you've watched it, which I hope you have. That scene where Linus comes out and begins to share from Luke's Gospel he does something that you never see in another Charlie Brown cartoon. If you know Linus and his character, you know that, that he's always got that blanket with him. It's his security. It's his protection. He's scared not to have it. So he, he's always holding on to it. He's a picture of an insecure little child. But when he goes out on that stage, as soon as he issues the words from the angel to the shepherds, fear not, he drops the blanket. Now, I don't know what all Schultz intended, but I know part of what that says to me. <laughs> it means for us to trust in the Lord, we need to let go. We need to stop living in fear. And we need to fully trust in Him and realize He is our only hope.
And so, friends, I hope as we go through these next couple weeks and as you experience probably a busy schedule and a lot of things going on, that you'll pause and take a moment, as we've seen Mary do in this passage, and praise God for the salvation He's given, for the strength that He has, and that He is sovereign and in control. And if you've not responded to that message of the gospel through faith and repentance, I hope that you will. If you would stand together as I pray for us. Father, we thank you today for your word and for this reminder from it. This reminder of our need to trust in Christ. This reminder of our need to be thankful for the gift you've given us of the gospel. And so, Father, I pray again, if there's anyone here who's yet to respond to that gift, Lord, that they would respond now. You tell us in your word that if we'll confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we'll be saved. And that all who call in the name of the Lord will be saved. And so, Father, if there's one today who needs to call, I pray they would. If they need to talk with someone more about the gospel, I pray that they would do that. If you're leading anyone to come and join this church fellowship or just come with a burden so that we can pray for them, I pray that they would come during this time of invitation and ask that in Christ's name. Amen.